0: Watchers in the fourth dimension. All colonists are eccentric, form and otherwise they wouldn't be colonists. They're all the same, treacherous. They get your confidence, and then
1: they. The whole life of this colony is endangered.
0: Hello, and welcome back to Watches in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And I'm every kind of scientist. This episode, we're heading back into space for the first time since the Trouton era, as we discuss colonoscopy—I mean colony—in <sighs> space. But first, as usual, a quick look at the mail. Over to Don for that.
1: Ted Davis from Facebook writes, "I love your podcast. I stumbled across it last year, or maybe the year before, when I restarted my project of watching all of Doctor Who in sequence. Good luck with that. Your podcast has turned out to be the perfect companion, filling in the production background and highlighting many aspects of each serial that I often haven't noticed. You get the show. You." You get the doctor you get barbara you get patrick troughton you get the war games i finished watching that and listening to your commentary on it and i couldn't agree with you more about how painful it was to watch and how highly it deserves to be rated not only are your comments astute and well informed but you seem to enjoy each other's company yes we do there's a delightful chemistry in your interactions, and i look forward to continuing our journey together thanks very much tad we appreciate it thank you that's really
0: nice of you tad aww
1: Regarding our Season 7 retrospective, Keith Burton writes, It was very interesting to see the Silurians rated as the weakest story of the season. My opinion of the broadcast episodes is always tainted by their comparison to the novelization Cave Monsters. Hulk gets to pare down the story and famously gives us backstory to many of the humans and Silurians. I think I would enjoy that. I didn't hate the Suttlerans. In fact, it's one of those
0: serials my brain keeps coming back to. There's just things I wish they could have done better. And we've had a lot of commentary from people on that novelization. So it's good to know that seems to be one of the better regarded ones. Nathan Laws says, regarding the Ambassadors of Death, to me there's a pretty extreme gulf
1: in quality between Ambassadors of Death and the rest of the season. While slurians has the poorly incorporated dinosaur and the poor music. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> I feel like those are a lot easier to overlook than the structural and problems with Ambassadors. If you're not bothered by the music, I can see that. Ambassadors does have its issues, but clearly it also has fans. Like me. Yes, like Anthony For Terror of the Autons, Astrozon Danglebert Zebulon says, I give it a rating of 700 Hard-boiled eggs out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Outstanding. Nicholas Rutherford has a question. Is Benton taking over where Jamie left off for you, Julie?
2: Yes. Benton <laughs> is the best. I love him. Someone had to fill in that role.
1: I, Dangleason? I think it's Al. L. Dangle, L? Dangle,
0: L Dangle, Dangleason. Oh, yeah,
1: because yeah. that was the part I was having trouble with. Is that one? <laughs> Says accurately, Gooch! Why do you have to kill Gooch? <laughs> R.I.P. Gooch. We miss you. Seamus68 says, I remember the story when I was very young. That bloody creepy AF doll gave me nightmares for ages. <laughs> that revealed the Auton as a cop. Awesome episode as ever, you guys.
0: Thank you very much. And yes, that doll is really creepy.
1: And this concludes the mail.
0: And we actually had one more piece since Don compiled it all, and I've been talking to Doctor Who 60s, 70s, 80s on Instagram, aka Paul Arthur, who said, I totally get why you guys may have found three a little hard going so far. He's not to everyone's tastes, and I know a lot of fans have issues with his very establishment doctor. And it's a bit of a bummer knowing you have a lot more of this pomposity to come. But I really hope you guys enjoy some of his stories. There are a lot to enjoy, I think. Paul, I hope so too. I know what's coming. I know there are some that I will enjoy. I just hope that my compatriots on the show will also enjoy some of them. As a reminder, we really love hearing from our listeners. As you can hear, we like to read as much out as we can. So if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at watches4d at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at watches 4 d On to Colony in Space. This one has its backgrounds dating back to when producer Barry Letts took over the show midway through season seven. He was mostly happy with the Earthbound format that his predecessor had left him. However, he was a little concerned that the format would eventually get repetitive, a concern shared by writer Malcolm Hulk, who felt that the format lent itself to two storylines as we've mentioned before, Alien Invasions and Mad Scientists. During planning for the show's eighth season, Letts decided to experiment with a return to an alien world, and quickly asked Hulk to develop ideas. This quickly led to a commission for a storyline that was originally entitled Colony, and it was inspired by the days of colonization of America and the strife between European descended colonizers and the indigenous peoples of the Americas. Letts and script editor Terence Dix asked Hulk to incorporate the master into the story, but wary of his regular appearances potentially becoming tedious, they asked him not to involve the character until halfway through the story. Given that the story would be off-world, UNIT's involvement would be minimized, with only Lethbridge Stewart appearing, and even then, only to bookmark the story. During scripting, the serial's title was changed to what we know and love as Colony in Space. Assigned as director, we have Michael Bryant, who is later known as Michael E. Bryant for reasons that are not yet clear to me, but I'm sure we'll find out and educate you later. He had previously contributed to the show as an assistant floor manager on season two's The Crusade and as a production assistant on both season four's The Power of the Daleks and season five's Fury from the Deep. One change to this story that he tried to make was he cast the role of Morgan as female, and actually went as far as hiring Susan Jameson to play the part. However, BBC head of Serials Ronnie Marsh, being ever the killjoy, quickly jumped in and overruled him, fearing that casting a woman in such a sadistic role would leave the BBC open to accusations of fetishism. The part was instead <laughs> given to Tony Corner, but Susan Jameson was still paid in full. Good for her. She got full pay for doing boggle. Joining Bryant on the creative side of things, we have Simpson, returning as composer, and two newcomers in the designer and costumer roles. In the former, we have Tim Gleason, who had previously designed for Doomwatch, Softly Softly, and yes, Don, of course, Z Cars. Woohoo! In the latter role as costumer, we have Michael Burdle, this seems to be one of his earliest credits, and both of them will return to the show, albeit on separate stories, later on. Location filming for this story was notoriously miserable, with the shoot at the Old Barl China Clay Quarry in Cornwall – try saying that while drunk – being beset by truly miserable weather. Cold, driving rain generated enormous amounts of mud, and wind destroyed parts of the set, as well as some of the amenities for the cast and crew, there's a very well-known anecdote of the wind blowing away the tent that provided privacy for the Portaloo while (laughs) Katie Manning was using it. (laughs) The mud would normally have meant that the standard production vehicles would be unable to operate for the tracking shots. However, assistant floor manager Graham Harper, who we will see much more of later in the show, had recommended using military-grade four-wheel vehicles for the IMC buggies, which were rapidly then pressed into service for the production crew as well. Once the story was complete and ready to go out, there was a slight change to the broadcast schedule. After criticism of Terror of the Autons for being too scary, as well as Les and Dix trying to pitch to a slightly older audience, the BBC moved the show an hour later in the schedules to 6.10pm. So late. This proved to be a highly successful move, boosting the show's ratings significantly, starting with this serial. Who knew Doc 2 works better later? We'll move into our short summary, which is in the hands of Julie this time around.
2: Tired of having millions of neighbors and living in a floating house? Move to Euraxerius. You'll have a wonderful <laughs> time where the only green things you'll see are the local primitives. Are they friendly? Not particularly, but they can learn to take food for peace and even pass you your tools. Sometimes we even get visitors. This doctor arrived with his woman friend, which was, of course, seems suspicious. Immediately enter random deaths, giant iguanas, and a cranky captain of a mining company. Fighting like on the wild frontier, we eventually won the war, although we lost our fearless leader. But don't fret. Our doctor friend fixed the soil, so soon we'll be seeing plenty of green. Funny, the primitives seem to have all disappeared. Please (laughs) let us know what size of dome you need. Welcome! (laughs) <laughs> yay.
0: that was excellent <laughs> on to episode one we open with time lords providing exposition
2: yay do you mean time lords being dicks
0: i mean that's what they do the best
2: there's a lot of dicks going on in this whole series <laughs> just <laughs>
1: I think they could have held off on the Time Lords saying they did it, because I think it would have been a nice touch to have the Doctor think he'd actually fixed
3: it. Yeah, that's a good point. It's almost like they were trying to do double bookends, because the Time Lords plot doesn't really come back into play till. I think episode five, when you find out what the master is actually doing there. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Brigadier bookends as well. So it's like a parentheses inside a
0: parentheses. Well, it's, it's <laughs> interesting because you get this piece at the beginning saying the master's stolen documents relating to a doomsday weapon. And then he doesn't show up until episode four, by which time you've almost forgotten that he's even in the story. Absolutely. I had totally forgotten. and I just thought he was just
3: as, you know, Julius was saying, just there to be a dick. I didn't really think he had a plan <laughs> other than that. <laughs>
2: It was just really odd to me. I thought that the stories themselves didn't line up very well. Don't get me wrong, I actually enjoyed a lot of this one, but it just seemed like they could have done the stories separately.
1: The minor plot doesn't really match with the doomsday plot. No. Especially when you see what what happens to the primitives.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: But we'll get there. I would like to point out they made the Brig put on his mustache Twice to do almost the same scene for the bookends. And yet in the beginning, the doctor still has time in his small appearance to be a complete dick to him. <laughs> so, so that was not...
0: <laughs> Yes. So the Time Lords whisk the doctor and Joe off to Uxarius. It's a quarry.
1: I've never been so happy to see a quarry. Oh my God. Absolutely. A quarry with a crappy robot. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like
3: setting outside earth. They've done it they finally <laughs> done it on the show. They finally escaped the totems of Earth and they made it to... SPICE! <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It's good to see they got a director who was a big fan of the show and knew how to make the TARDIS disappear and appear properly
0: i was just about to bring that up <laughs> in later appearances like convention appearances he's tried to claim that he did that because it was being controlled by the time lords and i'm like well, why did you also do that to the master's tardis when it leaves mm. that's clearly you're you're making that up sir yes
2: <laughs> it's <laughs> it's fine
0: just say sorry and move on
2: also <laughs> what was good about it since we got off of Earth. The doctor seemed to have a turning point where he especially in this first episode, he wasn't quite as much of a dick as usual other than to the break. So I was just sitting here I was like, are we are we getting there? Are we are we having that turning point? And I think we're getting close.
3: I hope so. That I'm glad you brought that up because I have always found one of the most important parts of Doctor Who is when that covenant is formed between the doctor and the companion of that understanding of that i accept you i want you to travel with me do you want to travel with me this is is that you know there's a risk involved Mm -hmm. and they're almost there here with the doctor and joe but it's so very clear that she is obviously uncomfortable and nervous and scared as anyone would and the doctor instead of confirming like I have a duty of care, like the doctor has said in New Who, he just kind of says, "Ah, it's going to be okay, come along. But it's almost there where they have like that moment of like there's a trust
0: or a bond or a, a promise being made. What's interesting here, Riley, to that point, this almost exactly mirrors the first Dalek serial. You have the doctor doing environmental checks. We have a planet mm-hmm. that has been devastated by radiation, some aspect. Nothing's growing. Joe's reaction to being on a new world, she is scared, much like Ian and Barbara were at the beginning. The doctor convinces her to take a quick look around. And Joe even finds a flower, much like Susan did. Mm-hmm. The parallels mm-hmm. here are pretty explicit, I think.
2: And I thought the doctor might have actually hit Joe in the head with the rock. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let me just
1: examine this rock first. (laughs) Nice. Oh, if only that would have been great. It seems like this serial or, or large portions of it, it really
0: is patterned on the original template. And to me, it feels like that's Hulk saying, I told you, Doctor Who's much better when it's like this. It feels like a turning of the corner of like,
3: okay, we understand, we... Made a mistake. We're going to try to get back into it. And that's why even though elements of this serial feel familiar because it is something we have seen before in the show, it's so much more welcomed because we haven't seen it
1: in so long. And once they get captured and taken back to the colony, we, of course, get to people jumping to conclusions about who the doctor is. Also, this is where you fill in the first space on your joe grant prisoner bingo card
2: <laughs> oh my god
1: which will be filled in in its entirety by the end of the cereal
2: it's so bad it's my one biggest issue with this cereal is joe doesn't actually do anything
1: yeah you make some food
2: <laughs> but it's not coffee is no
0: it? <laughs> no it is not coffee see it's a step up so there. <laughs> Her biggest thing seems to be to act as mentor to the equally useless Mary Ash.
2: Yeah. Uh, except Mary Ashe gets at least one moment.
0: That's true. Incidentally, the actress who played Mary Ashe was a regular on the long-running British soap Coronation Street, appearing in something ridiculous like 2,700 episodes or something like that. I think it's the only thing she's really been in for the last 40 years.
2: That's the peak perfection. It's job security. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. for giving you
0: a paycheck. Because we've had already our first appearance of
3: a, well, they call them primitives. I like to call them natives. They have a bit of a Zardoz kind of look about them, and I dig that.
1: There's <laughs> something that happens to me whenever we're watching all these stuff where I'm like, is that supposed to be a mask or is it supposed to be the creature's face?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the body stocking is meant to be their actual skin. Yeah. That yeah. <laughs> not the best realized aliens we've had. I realize the BBC does a lot
1: on a very limited budget, but I'm always trying to figure out what is my imagination supposed to be filling
0: in here?
2: (laughs) (laughs) For me, I didn't mind it too terribly much. I thought that they were decent.
0: I kind of hated the fact that they made them mute. Effectively, we have colonizers coming to their world, and much as some of the secondary literature labels the Earth colonists as being the Wild West, they seem more like pilgrims to me. And so they're Mm -hmm. here, they've got this slightly difficult relationship with the primitives or the indigenous peoples, and the writers have taken away their agency by making them mute. It just doesn't quite sit well with me.
2: I'd be a little bit more okay if just the one set were mute and then the others could talk and then you had the really intelligent one if they kind of went down that progression but they didn't do that
0: yeah instead the slightly more intelligent ones are mute and blind
2: because wonderful let's do it that way
0: but our bog
1: standard primitives do at one point give a nice little tuscan raider spear shake Understanding standing yes. on there so
0: that i nice. noticed that and this is what like seven years before star wars oh yeah yeah that's right
1: george
3: lucas did you watch this we do have a death star at the end so to speak a doomsday weapon
2: so I may or may not be jumping the gun here, but we get to the colony and all of that. And then we see the iguana. <laughs> just just a, a god, video no. <laughs> of an iguana. And it's just like chilling. It's like the most peaceful iguana I've ever seen. <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, it's it's a monster. I'm like, guys, it just wants some lettuce. It's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love the they use a bad special effect to represent a bad special effect.
3: If only they could have just used the, you know, the T Rex from the Silurian episode for that. Just plug it right back in there. That would have be been great. <laughs> oh. And you mentioned George Lucas. It's very clear. I mean, you said pilgrims, but the connections to this being a Western are so very, very clear. Especially in the mess hall how they dress. Talk about influencing people like Joss Whedon,
0: Firefly. I mean, it's almost <laughs> like the costumes like they were pulled straight from it. Yeah, the aesthetic seems very Western. But yeah, to me, the yeah. actual concept seems more those initial wave of settlers.
1: A bit of mixing and matching there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and- only America, who cares?
3: <laughs> and I wanted to bring this up because I've mentioned it every single time it has come up with a third doctor recently. But this serial in particular, it happens a lot. And I want to get everyone's opinions on it.
1: Are you going to say Aikido? You're going to say Aikido, yes, aren't you? Yes,
3: yes. How do we feel about it?
0: You mean karate versus Aikido? Yeah, Venusian Karate.
2: The problem that I have with it is when it's overdone. And in this particular serial, it was way overdone.
0: Yeah.
1: It also only seems to work if he's up against one person who isn't expecting it. But if there are multiple things or creatures, he won't even try it.
2: He's used it in a few other serials. And it's like when he uses it once or twice in a very specific way, in a specific scenario, fine, perfect. It's a thing that he does. But this one, it was like every episode again and again and again and again. I'm like, I'm done.
1: Usually as the cliffhanger resolution. To me, it
3: becomes... Bothersome because I never see the doctor that way, where his solution is, you know, I'm going to kick somebody in the face. That just doesn't seem like the doctor to me. And then it just, like you said, it is so happens so often in this serial that I, I swear I felt like does a third doctor have like a manservant named Cato that's on the TARDIS that he's instructed to attack him when he least expects it? That's how <laughs> it feels
0: like to me. And for those of you who didn't get that reference, go see a Peter Sellers Pink Panther movie. I do wonder how did none of the colonists figure out that a 20 foot high creature couldn't get through the doors of those domes? We rapidly find out it's the robot that kind of attacks the doctor, which leads us into our cliffhanger in episode two.
2: With the gurn count. Plus one. I actually love how they introduce the IMC. The only thing that was bothersome is the fact that people just seem to randomly show up and no one asks questions. Like, this guy comes in with this robot, and the doctor's just like, Oh, hey, how's it going? You know, what's <laughs> going on? All this other stuff. I'm like, Aren't you like, who in the world are you? Sup. <laughs> it's fine. Also, it's one of two amazing mustaches.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. The IMC folks—something very fan wanky from Expanded Media—that I just thought was hilarious. And Don, I know you'll be rolling your eyes. Expanded Media has it that they are the successor company to the Isigri Mining Corporation from the Space Pirates.
3: Of course, they oh, do. Oh no. <laughs> So my question is for the mining company folks, uh, their uniforms, is that from the fall or spring dominators line? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's from the fall line. It's very thick. It's going to keep you warm during those autumn days yes. of domination. Yes.
2: And red for foliage. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> Love it.
1: Uh, I mean, once we get an understanding that the mining
3: company is behind all this, trying to scare off the colonists, I mentioned this as a Western. At this point, I realized it was Blazing Saddles.
1: <laughs> oh that's good see i just had in all caps is this a scooby-doo plot and then he pretty much says yes it is a scooby-doo plot
3: which makes me feel so bad that it, how wonderful it would have been if the head miner was played by mel brooks that <laughs> oh. would have been wonderful
2: yeah a mix nice. of scooby-doo and mel brooks <laughs> that's exactly what i need again establishes the mining colony as a bunch of dicks except for caldwell mm-hmm. although at that point, we haven't gotten his turn yet, so we're not so sure about him. And Captain Dent, was it?
0: Yes. Yep. Dent. I love him. Because he's so cold.
2: He's so cold, and it's been a long time since we've had a not over-the-top angry boss. He's very competent at what he does, and I'm happy about that.
0: And he's not a bad boss, No,
1: He's just a boss. No. I think they did have some potential of putting a bit more sympathy on IMC because of how badly the earth apparently needs these minerals, because I did find that inherent conflict between the colonists and the IMC to be legitimate. And you can see valid points on both sides, but then they make IMC kind of evil and murdery
0: later on. And that's 100% because Malcolm Hulk was a former member of the British Communist Party and truly believed that corporations were evil. So IMC never would have been portrayed as sympathetic in a Malcolm Hulk script.
1: I will say nothing about the primitive faction because I don't really think they were involved enough aside from kidnapping and giving us something the master wanted.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Don, though, to your point, you know, IMC are portrayed as being very much established in the political spectrum in Earth. And this, to me, just seems like a real criticism of corporatocracy, fundamentally.
1: But I like the fact that he didn't make the mustache-twirlingly evil. You no, had Caldwell, just... they were just doing their job. And I think, in a way, aside from the money, they felt like they were doing the right thing for Earth. Yeah. Also... As far as the colonists knew, the planet was a real crap hole, so they probably should have wanted
0: to leave anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, it really feels like the sunk cost fallacy for the colonists. You know, their mm-hmm. the spaceship's not really space-worthy, but they're not really even willing to consider the potential of trying to fix it and going somewhere, you know, a bit more habitable. Mm-hmm.
2: We also get Joe just, you know, doing her cooking thing, and that's pretty much all that she does in this episode.
0: To the kitchen with you, woman.
2: And it makes me very sad.
0: Yeah, it's not a good look.
2: It's not. It's really not. Uh, But we get introduced to Norton.
0: Oh, Norton.
2: Immediately, I was like, this guy is suspicious. Yes. And my (laughs) first thought was that, could it be the master? Because I was like, the master is supposed to be here. Mm. And is he wearing a mask of some sort and things of that nature? But, you know, I was wrong. But I knew he was suspicious he was from the start.
1: Very sus. I have a note that says, This guy is kinda suspicious, and then my next one is, Oh, he immediately murdered that guy. Okay. Yep. <laughs> my suspicions are well founded.
3: <laughs> Wasn't his background story like Oh, yeah, I came from that other settlement down the way
0: that you guys didn't know about. I thought they were the only colonists on those planets. (laughs) Yeah, the primitives killed us all off a year ago, except me, and I have mysteriously managed to survive alone for a year.
3: (laughs) With no vegetation. What's going on? On
2: on the roots of no vegetation. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Uh, Wonderful.
3: Julie, you were mentioning how Joe is stuck just in the kitchen. This is the perfect setup. It reminds me of the good old days. Two separate factions of humans on an alien planet going at each other? We need Vicky. We need a revolution. She needs to like join the colonists and
0: rise up with them.
2: But we didn't get that.
0: Instead, Joe has been relegated to basically being Susan. Yes. Not quite as (laughs) screamy, but no, not not just as useless. Exactly.
2: (laughs) One thing that I noticed drastically, um, because it's something that I've paid attention to, the music was... I wouldn't say good, but it was unoffensive.
1: It had a moment, a moment when it was good. And I'll come back to that later because it is not in this episode. I think we might be on the same page on that.
2: It's just not offensive. It's just in the background doing what it needs to do. And I'm like, okay, thank you for not going hitting me over (laughs) the head with synth. Good.
3: Obviously, his cat was napping when he was composing.
0: (laughs) What if the good parts are just the cat?
2: Oh, my God. (laughs)
0: this episode seems to very much be where we get to understand the imc folks you know you understand the personalities caldwell you kind of realize he's the only one with a conscience he's concerned about murder and he's basically blackmailed into siding with imc by dent who says you know think about your debts this will enable you to pay it off and if i fire you you'll you'll never work again it's it's ruthless And then you've got Norton and Morgan and all of these nasty characters on that ship. I mean, did they just send their most bastardly crew and Caldwell just happened to be along for the ride?
2: Well, he was the actual miner, whereas all of them were just the crew of the ship, I felt like. yeah. So I think it's just a matter of they're there to make sure that security wise, they're all good. And he is the only one who actually knows anything about mining. So I think that's really the the key difference there.
0: Yeah. And of course, you know, the doctor is put into the hands of Morgan, who tries to kill him with his clawed robot. Another robot, another cliffhanger. I do appreciate that
3: with the claws, they actually did like the fake skin around the claws, which was unnecessary.
1: (laughs) I thought it was funny.
3: But it was nice. (laughs) It was
1: almost the same cliffhanger that we had last time, though. In the same location. Yes,
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this time with Claws. <laughs> I do like what Morgan says. You know, he says, purely business, you understand, nothing personal, which kind of feels like IMC's entire raison d'etre through all of this. <laughs> that's true. It ain't personal. It's just business. All right. Episode three.
2: So we really start the IMC asserting their power over the colonists. It, we're, we're finally getting to the actual fight that's going to happen.
0: And they're very, very performative, re-landing their ship right next to the colony, even though they've already been on the planet for a while. Dent still kind of pushing his big lie that, oh, we had no idea that you were here. This is a, this is a mix-up. We got to send for an adjudicator. You knew damn well, Dent.
2: It's a little bit different because in a lot of the other ones, the colonists were actually kind of bad. But in this one, we truly have peaceful colonists who are trying to work with the natives and we're trying to make things work, which is slightly different than some of the others that we've had.
0: Yeah, because Earth has become a dystopian hellhole. <laughs> <I'm> so, <sorry. laughs> Oh, thank goodness for science fiction.
2: <laughs> it's different because since it's... Usually we've seen the anti-colonialism because of, you know, what was going on with with the UK. It was just Mm. interesting to see that it was a slightly different twist than we've seen in the past.
0: Yeah. And Hulk, again, with his kind of communist hat and his left wing politics, he was very anti-colonialism as well. But I think for him, these subsistence farmers, because that's what they are at this point, are kind of better than the evil corporation coming in to strip mine the planet. Mm It's almost like colonists, not great, corporation, really, really, really bad. Yeah, at least the colonists
1: aren't trying to destroy the indigenous people. I forgot to mention this when it would have been relevant, because I don't think we've really touched on Ash, the leader of the colony, that much. Mm. But Mm -hmm. there's a scene early on where he's at his desk and he's talking to the doctor, and there's a photo on his desk which seemed odd to me because it was pretty blatant and right there, and I wondered if it would be a character that was going to pop up later, like his wife or something. It didn't. But while looking into the stuff about Morgan, that is actually a publicity shot of Susan Jameson. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's wow. amazing. So he has a photo of the female Morgan
0: on his desk. I'm sure that the idea was she was meant to be Mary's mother, but I love that yeah. Susan Jameson.
2: <laughs> love oh. it.
0: But just going back to the dystopia element, one thing I failed to mention when we were talking about episode two were the scenes the Doctor saw on the entertainment console on the IMC spaceship. It was all a lot of violence. And it really just gave the idea of this overpopulated, polluted Earth where violence is the only entertainment. I can kind of understand why the colonists might want to get away from that.
2: Oh, absolutely. I sit there and I'm like, oh, this sounds kind of uh, actually what, you know, future Earth could potentially be. I get you. (laughs) got it, guys. We also get more of just telling Joe that you can't help and we don't see Joe for a while, which is yeah. sad. It was at this point where I was like, oh, yeah.
0: I was going to say, she's she's captured and put somewhere with Winton and just kind of left out of the way for the majority of the episode.
3: Oh, yeah. Where she's in the hut. Yeah. But that was interesting because to me it cracked me up that I couldn't wrap my head around this legal system that we have here because a land dispute send in the adjudicator caught trespassing on a ship. Execution
0: by explosives. (laughs) What I really loved here was kind of the cascading effect, right? So Morgan failed to kill the Doctor. So the Doctor, when Dent shows up, pushes his lie towards the colonists. The Doctor shows up and can protest otherwise, which has now led to them finding other ways to put pressure on the Doctor. And Joe, as, as the hostage who they're threatening to kill, is one of the ways they're trying to exercise power in order to squash the little people. I feel bad for Joe. We do get to see a little bit of her escapology skills that have been mentioned, but not seen enough.
2: It's really because she has skinny wrists. That's it. <laughs>
0: yes. And while handcuffed, she seeks proper lubrication to complete it. So <laughs> always seek Thank proper you. lubrication. <laughs> yes, especially while Every handcuffed.
2: Time.
0: <clears throat> this has been your PSA from Watches in the Fourth <laughs> Dimension.
1: Kids, ask your parents what any of that might mean. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about their escape attempt because when the guard comes in, Winton manages to escape, but the guard grabs Joe and just kinda lifts her up onto <laughs> one yeah. arm and her, her arms and legs are just flailing and that was just so uh. unintentionally comical. <sighs> she needs some combat skills. A
1: gun.
2: It's an it's an issue that I, I've been having with Joe. I do like Joe, but the way that they utilize her is not my favorite. There's so much more that she could do. I appreciate that she at least gets one person out of there, but man, I just, I'm struggling.
0: Joe will have her moments, I promise you. This was not a story where she does, but she will in other stories. I believe it is this episode where we have, speaking
3: of Scooby-Doo, where the doctor and one of the colonists do the double
0: walk-behind karate chop and synchronization bit. Yeah, to try and get onto the ship. Mm -hmm. So they do that, steal the uniforms, and then try and take the ship. Yeah. Oh, that bit. I I feel like that was like something straight out of a cartoon. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little unrealistic. I wanted to talk more about Nice Guy Caldwell.
2: Yes, Mm. I did too.
0: Okay, after you, please, Julie.
2: I really like Caldwell's character. He actually has a lot of things on his plate. There's a lot of things for him to think through. But he really keeps his stance of, I don't want people to die. He does make a mistake in a later episode. We'll get there. But for the most part, I just sit there. I'm like, he has what he wants to have happen. And I just appreciate him as a character and not being a dick.
0: He claims he shot Winton in order to protect him. And that allows him to escape. He stands up over his views on how Joe should be treated, to the point where Dent tells him, you've just committed professional suicide. But Dent still agrees to ensure that Joe is brought back until at least the primitives capture her. You know, he he stands up for what he believes in.
3: It's also good that his progression of his turn is paced out. It isn't just a sudden U-turn. It's one step, one act, then a larger act, then a larger act. It isn't
0: just turn on a dime. And you wonder how many times before he's seen these tactics and has been slowly getting more and more disillusioned by life in the IMC. And this is when he's finally hit his breaking point. And those acts of rebellion, as you say, Riley, increase over the course of the story.
1: There's a lot of that in this script, though. I mean, there's even some for Dent, who at first he's willing just to have them try to scare the locals. He's okay with a few of them dying by accident but their rebellion eventually gets to him so much that he doesn't care if their ship blows up. He's just so done with them.
0: It's smart writing from Malcolm Hulk. It makes the characters more believable than rapid changes in their character. I already mentioned Joe gets captured by the primitives, and I think we get what is our worst cliffhanger yet in this story. (laughs) Uh, That is when she's taken into the city, the rock face opens, and you get a letterbox of light highlighting her eyes, and we're at the closing credits. The hell, Doctor Who?
2: (laughs) Just scared Joe eyes.
3: I think that's better than just a karate kick to the master's gun,
0: his sonic. I don't know what you would call his little device. Oh, I said worst cliffhanger yet. The master hasn't even shown up yet. Yes. Good point. Yeah. On to episode four. This is it. Okay. is This
3: is it? Uh, i no, agree is, with you.
0: This is where we get a really
1: good bit of music. Yes. Yes.
3: Yeah. I agree completely.
1: It goes away far too quickly, but just for a moment, <laughs> there's some nuance <laughs> and subtlety and setting a mood, and then he falls over on the Scythian later, but still, for this moment,
0: good thing We were there. A moment of peace and serenity before we were terrorized again. (laughs) We start off with something Julie mentioned in her short summary. Ash expects Joe to get ransomed in return for food, and this is not the first time this has happened. And yet these colonists still trust the primitives to hand them tools and stuff like that. And we find out later that they're kleptomaniacs as well.
1: (laughs) Maybe not all of them are like that. Maybe not. They might have individual personalities. I I doubt it because that's not the way sci-fi
0: worked at the time. But still, I can hope. All right. So we get the Adjudicator ship arriving and it has a conventional landing, which, let's be honest, is not what we would really expect from a TARDIS.
2: Mm-mm. But then at the same time, when I see him walking out and you just see him from the back, I'm like, I know who that is.
1: <laughs> it's that weird feeling of knowing he's not really necessary for this story. But he's so much fun. You're happy
0: to see oh, him I, anyway.
2: I love him. He's so
0: good. We've come a long way from your uncertainty on Delgado in Terror yes. of the Autons.
2: Yes, we have. And I'm very happy about it. Excellent. Yes, we know the master's there. Okay, great. And we found out that the projection was an iguana at this point. <laughs> found out all of that. Uh, sorry, I want to move on to the doctor going down into the... Underground, whatever yeah. area, mm-hmm.
0: the primitive city.
2: And the leader with the brain, the <laughs> brain heads. Yes. <laughs> Why? <laughs>
0: What I struggle with there is, never explained, are they two different species or are they different evolutions of the same species? Are they born the same? And if you don't grow up to look like one of the elders, tough shit, you're one of the plebs. I don't know.
1: During the late 60s, early 70s, radiation was magic. This is true. So if they're the same people, oh, you're green and weird and you've got a big brain and you're a baby with a brain head on it, whatever.
3: (laughs) Was like it's the little guy from Island of Doctor Moreau.
1: <laughs> I enjoyed
3: it. I mean, you guys know me. I miss the goofy looking aliens so much. Yeah, and these guys are
0: goofy as all get out. What I loved about them is they gave them a pretty rich backstory about them yeah. previously being a highly advanced civilization, went into decline, and now they've devolved into this worship of technology with human sacrifice. Or
2: and I loved that they showed it through pictures. Yes. Mm-hmm. That I absolutely adored. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, this is perfect. It's a visual representation. You get a little bit of exposition, but for the most part, you just see how it progressed. And I love that.
1: Holy crap. It's beneath the Planet of the Apes, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Oh my
3: God. The brain people, you're right. But what is it about narrative that we always enjoy when we get a moment of lore for a culture or a story? We love to see it as images.
2: Why is that? And it's wonderful because you you see it across a lot of things. You see it in like historical contexts like this you see it like I'll even take Harry Potter for example when they told the story of the Deathly Hallows when they had the cartoon and they showed that pictorially and it was beautiful I have just sitting here I'm like man like we finally kind of figured that out as a narrative device and I love it
0: I think Riley to answer your question it probably goes to our basest instincts we were drawing on the walls as a species of the walls of caves before we had the written word
3: and that is the story of our ancestors that is the story of what happened before and so when you see it in film or television it resonates
0: yeah it resonates our primitive brains yes that's what happened before don you mentioned the baby the most shriveled of the primitives as i (laughs) was in my note (laughs) oh boy i had oh
1: it's a little guy but i'm i'm bad so you know
0: I think uh, what bugged me the most about him is how quickly he changed his mind after condemning them to death. It's very much, oh, we're sorry, please, uh, we didn't mean to, please let us go. Yes, but if you return, you will be destroyed.
1: He was afraid the doctor was going to hit him with some of that akido, and he's, he's just a little feller, he can't do anything about that, so he let him go. <laughs> it's mini-me.
2: They called him so intelligent, but at the same time, I'm like, he's making weird decisions, and he's changing his mind, and I don't know, it just didn't seem like it was... A very well thought out way of thinking.
3: It's all the radiation. It messes yeah. up their thinking. They think
0: they're smart. They're just insane. But with that, our heroes finally come face to face with the master. I love that moment. The nervous cough that
3: the master oh, gives. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he looks a
3: little bit surprised he's
0: like oh shit i wasn't (laughs) expecting
3: this it it, it was the doctor who equivalent of the thor scene of loki as odin going oh shit (laughs) that
0: was what it felt like it was wonderful and of course, the master has forged credentials and the doctor has no credentials, so that's the master's leverage to keep him shtum. But they're impeccable credentials. They are. <laughs> also, the master's the adjudicator leads to one of my favorite scenes of the entire serial. After he rules in favor of the IMC...
2: They're all drinking! Yeah. Oh. this is wonderful! I'm <laughs> just getting wasted. <laughs> like and they were acting drunk as well
3: yes yes
2: that was beautiful they're just sitting there with their glasses of wine and they're just like look at us we're amazing i'm like guys call me your shit
3: i i love that too that was incredibly funny and i was really hoping when they had to turn around and land again that because they were drunk the landing would be a little bit off like kind of <laughs> like
0: you know land on the side or something Meanwhile, the miners, well, at least Winton decides, yeah, let's just declare ourselves an independent republic. Again, I've talked about pilgrims, but that definitely seems like shades of 1776.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I get it. Like, honestly, Earth isn't doing us any favors. We're all, all on our own. I get it. I'm a little bit in favor of the colonists because, yeah. one, I mean, the miners are dicks, so I'm not going to side with them, obviously. So yeah, I get it.
0: Ultimately, we get the IMC folks being lured into a trap where the colonists are gonna kill them, arrest them, I, I mm-hmm. force them off the planet. I don't know what their end game was there. I don't remember. And the Masters just like, you know what? Well, this firefight's going on. I'm just gonna kill the Doctor and Joe with my laser gun.
1: Yeah, but he's also been chatting with Ash to kind of butter up to him about well, you know, if there was something historical about the
0: planet, I might be able to help you out here. Eh. Show me the primitive city, damn it! Yeah. give me the doomsday weapon.
2: I love the master in that, but I also love some of the other things that are happening. Like as we're in the middle of this gunfight, one of the guys like casually lays down his gun and then fakes his death. <laughs> it's kind of wonderful. <laughs> oh, I don't no. want to throw this. I'm just going to place it and then overly dramatic death. I love it. It's ridiculous and over the top and it's great.
1: And Norton
0: dies as we go to our cliffhanger. After he's killed the last member of the Leeson family. Yep. Mm. Bastard.
3: The cliffhanger here with the master and the doctor and Joe is part of a series of declining cliffhangers (laughs) as we go through the entire serial. This one in particular rubbed me wrong because I just thought about what what is the master's motivation? He wants power? He wants to outsmart the doctor, get a one-up on the doctor. Walking up to somebody with a gun is not outsmarting them. (laughs) That's not doing anything. And and it just seems so basic and thrown in.
1: They needed a cliffhanger. And it's resolved immediately because someone comes up behind them.
3: It just comes through the door. That's not a cliffhanger. You need to have a lot more suspense than that. If your cliffhanger can be resolved by just someone just walking in the door and saying,
2: hey, what's going on? (laughs) So... Episode 5?
0: Episode 5. Episode 5. This one had a really long reprise.
2: It really did. Go Another
0: ahead. goddamn firefight. Of course it At least did. it's not we, on Earth. True.
2: It is not on Earth, and it reminds me much more of a shoot 'em up and I love those... So I'm okay with it. It was one of those things where I was sitting there. I was like, are we finally done with this? Are we going to have more between the IMC and the colonists? Of course, we're going to have more with the IMC and the colonists. It's a little ridiculous because it keeps going back and forth. But we at least get a little bit of a reprieve there. And then we have the Doctor and Joe going to the Master's TARDIS.
0: Mm -hmm. Very, very quickly before we get into the Master's TARDIS Ash and Winton ending the firefight with the old sneak behind routine Not the last time we will see it in this story
2: Oh no, absolutely
0: (sighs) (sighs) Onto the Master's TARDIS It looks nice very clean, and with a security system. Yeah, which resulted in one of the most ridiculous scenes of the entire story, <laughs> with the Doctor and Joe wriggling across the floor like fucking caterpillars. You shut up! That was to awesome. Get into the Master's TARDIS,
1: <laughs> and we also we also got to see the Sonic
0: screwdriver again. We did. Yes, mm-hmm.
2: they did that on purpose. We all know that. We just why not them? Have them wriggle on the floor. It's ridiculous.
0: Also. Clever Dent finally running a check on this adjudicator.
2: What I don't understand is the master is known for wearing masks of other people. So why in the world did he not just wear a mask of the real adjudicator? And second of all, where did the mind control go?
1: That was a big question yeah. I had was the mind control. And usually the master is better about just faking things. And it's not like they sent a picture. I'm not quite sure how they realized he was fake. They did send a picture they eventually. Did? did I miss that?
2: Eventually. mm mm-hmm.
1: I sit corrected. But didn't the
3: master have that dude's wallet? ID? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he's like, well, I know what I need to look like. I'll go to my master mask creation set and, you know, slap
0: this together. Boom. I'm this dude. That is very out of character. Mm -hmm. Maybe he ran out of masks that the Autons provided him with. I don't know. (laughs)
2: And then we have Joe having a dumb moment of setting off the alarm because- Oh, Joe. Joe can either be a damsel in distress or causing all the problems. She can't actually help in this entire cereal. So, mm-hmm. except Susan.
0: With, except with dinner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Susan.
2: <laughs> so, Susan. And they pass out. one Yay, sleep gas.
0: If
1: your subtle sleep gas involves lights flashing in multiple <laughs> colors with your LED, it's not very subtle just gonna throw that out there that
0: if the doctor was paying attention he would have caught it beforehand in the master's tardis i did notice they had used the printed tardis wall yep and we get seen when the doctor and joe are on the floor where you see the edge of it and good god it looked rough it was very very frayed at the edge i don't know if anyone else noticed that
1: i like to imagine it's intentional and it's really just wallpaper designed to look like (laughs) tardis (laughs) Like, in-world, it's wallpaper. When I think about it, it is very interesting how I was
3: thinking about the Master's TARDIS and how the entrance to the TARDIS is... It's a 360-degree thing. Like, we've seen it before. We have an idea of what it looks like. But the entrance is shot on the right. But I can't think of a time where when you have a broad shot of the Doctor's TARS where the door is always on the left. And I wonder if they intentionally said, okay, so it's the Master, it's the Nemesis, the door is going to be on the right this time.
1: I think it probably is. Yeah. It's weird because uh. they don't know how it appears and disappears, but they don't show it on the right. Right, yeah. right.
2: All right, you're going to places where I'm like, I don't really care. (laughs) (laughs) Moving
1: on, we can now complete our Joe Grant bingo card as she has been caught by every faction in the serial. (laughs) Yes. So the master puts her in the tube. Yep.
3: And he and the doctor head on out where we have a funny moment with a native. Oh, yeah. Which... Could have been, uh, that was funny acting by Pertwee right there. That was really funny. And I was really hoping, of course it wouldn't happen, just the comic effect of a spear through the master. It would have been really funny, but it didn't happen.
0: I do love how they roll a giant boulder down at them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I
2: love how like the doctor's like, hey, look behind you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. super casual. Like, hey, are you sure about that? Go I'm look. I'm not
0: fooling for that one, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, you are.
2: Oh, that was wonderful. And as that's going on, we have another sneaky infiltration happening just in the opposite direction.
0: Which results in another firefight. Yeah, yeah. Yay. I do love how Winston wants to issue the IMC weapons to the colonists, and Ash is like, no, we're good. There's nothing to worry about. Immediately after which yes. the IMC folks start taking <laughs> them out one by one. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Which uh, I think could have been done
0: with a lot more tension. Probably so, but it's funnier when done like that.
1: There is a little bit of comedy there. I mean, Ash is a good person and he ends appropriately, but he's he's just way too trusting.
2: But we also get the, of course, if they're going to threaten Ash, then the others are going to drop their guns, which on the IMC front, they would have never done that.
0: Except they did. Uh, they did. That was what happened in the previous episode uh, oh. as the resolution to the prior firefight. Oh, not the previous episode, the beginning of this one.
2: Oh, was it the captain that they... Yeah. He
0: was wearing a helmet. ...to to Ash.
2: Oh, he was wearing a helmet. Okay. It's harder
0: to to recognize him. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, no no one's willing to let their leader die to prove a point. I would just be like, screw it, just kill me. (laughs) Whatever. Which,
2: Which we get to in episode six. We do. What else do we got? The trial. Oh, the trial. We
1: have the mock trial, which goes exactly as you would expect. We get uh, Caldwell and what's-his-face going to the Master's TARDIS and attempting to release Joe. Oh, Morgan. We- Morgan, yes. We
2: actually got the phrase, this trial is a farce, which I had written that Before they said it, I was like, called it.
0: It's a show trial, you know, so they can check the box Mm -hmm. with corporate. And they're very good at that. Yeah, we did.
2: So because I've already dropped this all the time, like this is our explicit episode. What I have is dicks, dicks everywhere and always in charge. (laughs) (laughs) So that's... (laughs) <laughs> I I just got so tired of it Because it's a whole bunch of men Just trying to be totally incredibly ridiculous And I'm so over it But this is the episode where Mary Has her one moment of shining And standing up to the IMC And just like speaking her mind and She did more in this one episode Than Joe did in the entire series
0: Hey Julie, because this is the kind of thing That you actually tell Take notice of. And I always think about it, but I never actually write it down. Do you know if any of the conversations between Joe and Mary would have caused this story to pass the Bechdel test?
2: Probably the only one that really would have done it was when they were just talking about food. Mm. So... Technically, it passes,
0: but not very well,
2: but not well. No. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. It's
0: just
1: curious. We also get another yeah. cliffhanger resolved by Akito. Uh. Uh.
0: Can we talk about that? I Extremely... mean,
1: if you make us, I guess we'll have to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's more more the actual cliffhanger. So Morgan and Caldwell set off the alarm in the Master's TARDIS. The Master's like, I told you not to try anything, and goes to gas Joe with his device. And the cliffhanger is his finger moving towards the button painfully slowly before it gets to the cliffhanger. And then, you know, roll end credits, and we're into episode six, where that's just not continued. The slowness, nope, the Doctor kicks it out of his hand and then the primitives show up. The slowness is removed. It's for dramatic effect. And you know how dramatic (laughs) the master is. That's true.
3: (laughs) It's the only way to push a button. Indeed. I don't think we mentioned this, but the conclusion of the trial was the setup of they all were told to blast off the planet and the the ship was probably not going to make it. And I thought it was interesting that each colonist was given a baggage limit of seven kilos, which for us Americans is 15 pounds. Wow. (laughs) Fifteen
0: pounds of your life that you can take back to blow up in space. Yeah.
2: It's yeah.
0: And they've suspended the sentence of execution as long as they leave the planet, which will also result in their death. It's like a lose-lose situation for the colonists. Yeah. So
3: the
1: master and the doctor, they get to look at the mural down in the underground. I love this because it's the master interpreting, and then it's like, nah, I read it before I
0: came. I knew about all this. <laughs> <Yeah. It's- laughs> It was all in the Time Lord files that I stole. Yeah.
2: (laughs) One of the things I didn't understand, the leader had told the doctor, if you come back down here, we will kill you. And yet, immediately, the primitives come in and take him right back to their leader. Like, he's not supposed to be going back down there.
0: Yeah. They did kind of drop that. (laughs) He does ask why they came back. The master talks about restoring the planet and then the doctor speaks against it. My headcanon is that (laughs) he's basically convinced them that he's been forced down, which he has. And they are mildly psychic,
1: so they can probably mm-hmm. infer whether he's telling the truth or not. Yeah. It was just weird. So, the
0: doomsday weapon, eh? Yep. Destroy suns.
2: Yeah, it's always like a death ray or some mm-hmm. other sort of thing. Like destroying suns. I mean, Star Wars, get it from here. It's fine.
1: We also got a quarry mud fight. That was nice. Yes. I, uh,
3: oh, yeah. The- sweet. Oh, yeah. Hot colony <laughs> mud wrestling. Yes. <laughs> I feel so sorry for those actors. And Anthony, you mentioned that it was really cold. Good it was. Lord, that must have been awful to do. Oh, yeah.
2: Man. I'm just curious as to why they decided to go that route. Were they just like, well, the mud's here anyway, so let's have them wrestle? I guess. <laughs> like, it, it It's fine. We also yeah.
1: learned that the planet wouldn't be this way if the super weapon had been built up to code. <laughs> <laughs> Can't just go for the cheapest offer. You got to look for quality in your doomsday weapons, people
0: yeah speaking of which i'm so I, I guess confused by the way the master tries to persuade the doctor to join him in this and, you know join me and reign benevolently across the universe and it's like well how's this gonna work <laughs> also george lucas empire strikes back ending yeah but that they're not even trying to be benevolent with in star wars but here it's like you know you will uh submit to me and i will be nice to you or i will destroy you <laughs> okay
2: it's a part of that. And then he's saying like, oh, there's so much good that you can do with this. And it's like, well, I'll be doing good, but you'll be doing bad. So even like half of me doing good is not going to work.
0: Yeah. You know, the doctor obviously sees through it immediately and says absolute power is evil. And, you know, good for you, doctor. I think the master just wants the doctor's
1: attention. Yeah. He goes about yeah. it in really terrible ways. Was like, hey, look, we got this thing. We can hang out
0: all the time now. Yes. He's got a crush.
2: It's pulling the pigtails. Mm. That's 100% what this is. There you go. Mm-hmm.
0: Before we get to the destruction of the Doomsday Weapon and the Primitive City and seemingly all of the primitives, I do want to just touch on the colonist spaceship and Dent's sacrifice. You mean Ash. Ash. Ashes. Ashes. Sorry, <laughs> Ash Ash's sacrifice. We actually get Mary coming into her own here because she very specifically lies to Dent. Tells him that Winton is on the ship when he's not. And she is basically saying, look, as her father had said, this ship is not space worthy. This is a death sentence. I mean, she really, really shows that she's a strong character here after being a very minor part for the first four or five episodes. And
2: here she kind of reminds me of
0: Vicky a little bit.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. And she, again, she has more to do than Joe does.
0: She does indeed.
2: Because I'll go ahead and talk about it. So what frustrates me about this episode with Joe is she only escapes because Caldwell is nice and, Mm -hmm. and helps her escape. And then we get... I know we'll talk about the destruction and and whatnot, but they go down into their civilization, whatever, and then don't help in any matter whatsoever. And the four of them end up escaping. So I'm just setting them like, at least if they had sent Joe and Caldwell down there, like they could have been like, oh, this is the way out or have them do something. But it was just literally like, oh, we're all going to escape together. It it bothered me. I was like, they sent them down there, but they didn't do anything anything it was useless for them to be down
0: yeah they literally had nothing for them to do yeah i mean they should have just left her back on earth if they were going to take this path yeah
2: Mm. anyway sorry let's go back to the things i want to talk about
0: (laughs) is
3: it that the little alien looks like the scene in deadpool when he has like little legs
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes
0: nice
2: yes i like this interaction that the three of them have this is like peak doctor master and then whatever third character you're gonna have it's wonderful the master's trying to convince them of one thing the doctor's like hey that's not the way good about it you have the intelligence of the, the leader and he's like you know master you're not fit to be a god and i just love that and and we have the the Thing like understanding that it's like, hey, doctor, there's a self destruct button. We need to do this, and I love this ending in this aspect of it. I love it.
1: You think yeah. he'd been wanting to destroy his entire people and civilization for a while, and just couldn't get over there with his legs and his arm couldn't reach, <laughs> so he had to have them there. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Because to me, it, it seemed be. like a bit of a, well, you know, you guys showed up. Guess I'll kill me and myself and all my people. That that seemed a bit of a leap to me. But if I was a little big-headed baby thing, I'd probably do the same thing.
3: I've just been waiting for a pair of strong arms to come into this underground, and you're <laughs> it.
2: You guys make in fun of it. And I, I mean, yes, it's a little bit stretched. Oh, no, but... no,
3: no. I, I agree.
0: I did enjoy that part. I, I It's its funny, but also I can appreciate it. So we get the destruction of the city and we get some wonderful psychedelic effects. <laughs> really groovy, man. Oh, yeah. And ultimately, I thought the destruction was surprisingly low key. You know, there's yeah. just a small explosion emission and a small rock slide. It doesn't like carve a crater in a part of the planet or anything like that. I was a little disappointed. Yeah. Oh, that would cost money. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would happen. They didn't have any. Good point. So they get back to the colony. IMC show up. They know the master's an imposter. Well, no, they don't get back. That happens before the colony. IMC meet the doctor and co outside of the city. They know the master's an imposter. Morgan plans to execute them. And then the colonists show up, leading to yet another firefight. And of course, the master escapes in the fracas
2: In one of those little vehicles that has boobs for headlights.
0: Yes. (laughs) It wasn't me that said it. Yay!
2: <laughs> we hadn't talked about it yet but i had to do All right. it okay yes okay
1: for the record julie was the one that mentioned the titty jeeps it wasn't me
2: <laughs> titty, titty jeeps <laughs>
0: nice
2: <laughs> welcome oh to the
0: most immature doc 2 podcast on the internet <laughs>
2: But yes, we got another firefight, but this one, at least this was the last one. We have the master escaping. I thought that there was a lot more going on here. And, you know, we finally get to the point where it's like, all right, the colonists win.
0: And of course, we find out at this point how they escaped and the Mm -hmm. sacrifice that Ash made. Yeah. Which was quite sad because I liked Ash. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nice guy Coldwell decides to stay with them.
2: Yay. Of course he does. That's the stereotypical plot line. Mm-hmm. But I do like him, so that's wonderful. And then how convenient is it that the TARDIS is just safe and sound in one of the Klepto's highways?
1: It's also classic
0: Doctor Who. That you take away the TARDIS at the very end. Oh, there it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was right over
0: there the whole time. You think back to season one, and I already made the analogy at the beginning of this, but most mm. of season one was about the TARDIS crew trying to get back to the TARDIS and they had to get through the adventure in order to get there. So again, it's that classic storytelling mechanism.
3: Am I too much of an opportunist? But when I saw that Caldwell was going to stay around with colonists and knowing that out of the corporation, he was the only person who was a the true miner made me think that, well... The corporation's gone. The natives are gone. They're going to get rich. They're going to go and start mining. (laughs) And they
0: should. Maybe.
2: (laughs) But what's nice, though, is that since he's a true miner, I don't think he's going to destroy the planet. I think his goal is to actually do a real mining. So you don't have to destroy a planet in order to mine. So I think he'll actually do it in such a manner where it's not destructive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they can do some sustainable mining. Yes. And, of course, we end with the TARDIS leaving and landing back at Unit HQ, where we basically resume where we started the episode. Lethbridge Stewart, Doctor, come back at once. And they've only been away for a few seconds.
1: Except now he's on the other side of the room for some reason.
0: (laughs) Yes. All right, should we rate this? Yeah.
1: Riley. All right. This feels like the show is returning
3: to an old formula and previously we would have been critical of it because it's something that would have been very repetitive but it's been so long, we've been stuck on Earth this is really welcome to have a story like this again it's been too long it's a basic story but I think the addition of the doomsday weapon and our little Scooby-Doo monster mystery prevents it from being too simple and boring the sets, I thought we didn't get a chance to talk about it they were varied and well done the music is still, well, it's still (laughs) there (laughs) I'll just say that. Pertwee is starting to become less of an a-hole. This plus the claws of Axos make it seem like the show is turning a corner, I believe. And uh, what I mean is a turning a corner from the mistakes they made at the start of the third Doctor's run. So I will give this seven, the Master's noxious gases out of ten.
1: All right, Don, you're next. I liked this story to a surprising degree, and I think it's for a lot of the reasons that Riley mentioned before. There are some problems with it. Joe is underused. There's still some questionable CSO going on and most but not all this time of Dudley Simpson's music I just find frustrating I know this story is not terribly beloved but by Doctor Who fandom as a whole. And I think part of the reason is probably the fact that it's a six-parter. Its pacing is kind of off. And frankly, I think they could have condensed a lot of those firefights down and made a really good classic four-part serial. But once again, you're kind of, what's the point of complaining about pacing in classic Doctor Who? They'd already built the (laughs) sets. Come on. We got to use them here. Basic accountancy. Despite all this, like I said, I've never been so happy to see a quarry in my life. (laughs) I'm giving it seven and a half Scooby-Doo monsters out of 10. Julie.
2: Again, what much more is there to say? I was very, very vocal about my issues with how Joe was used. And again, for me, the music wasn't so bad. It was mainly just there. It didn't offend me all that much. And yeah, there were some plot things that were a little wonky, like combining What was happening with the master and what was happening with the miners and the colonists was a little off, but I enjoyed it. It was so much better than what we've had in the past. And we finally got off Earth. It's feeling a lot more like Doctor Who. Um, So I'm going to give it seven and a half epic stashes out of ten. (laughs)
0: For me, my memories of this one as a child were not positive. You know, I saw it back in the 90s as one of those kind of edited together as a movie stories on UK Gold during their repeat season. And it doesn't work like that. This is not a story to binge. This is not a story to watch in one or two sittings. Break it up. And this time round, I watched it two episodes at a time over the span of a week. And I really enjoyed it. It's definitely flawed. Don, I think, as you mentioned, you know, it's not perfect, but it's fun. It is really nice to see that old formula back. It's nice to see the Doctor and Joe on an alien planet at last. And, I mean, we've talked a lot about the Doctor kind of being a dick, but he's a lot softer here. You know, I think because he is finally on an alien planet, he's got that part of his soul back, and he's a lot nicer as a result. It has a little bit of weakness in the plot department, I'll grunt you that. You know, the Master feels like he was added as an afterthought, which he probably was. Feels like it could have been two stories, as was mentioned earlier. But, yeah, it's decent, and I will give it seven titty lights out of (laughs) ten. Titty jeeps. They're Titty Jeeps. Jeeps. Okay, which gives us a story (laughs) average of 7.25, which makes it the second best of the season so far, which will be to many of our listeners' surprise. We are out of time. We will be back next time as we head to the folk horror-inspired season finale that is The Demons. But for now, as always, thank you very much for listening, and have a good one. You have been listening to Watches in the 4th Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Filipec and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Hot Colony Mud Wrestling, was recorded on Wednesday the 29th of September 2021. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at watchers 4 d and you can also email us at watches4d at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, corporatism and weapons of mass destruction are both really, really bad, just in case you missed the moral of this particular story.
2: kitty jeeps, Titty jeeps. Titty jeeps.